from the CyberHub Bunker and Studio. You're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales, no bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Hello, folks. Welcome to the CISO Talk Podcast, Veteran November. Um, happy Veterans Day for those that are joining me today. This is our Veterans Day episode. Thank you for your service. I have a legendary InfoSec person joining me for this very special Veterans Day episode. But before I introduce him, which you can see him on the screen, and if you don't recognize him, shame on you. What planet have you been living on? Subscribe right now to the podcast. If you're watching us on YouTube, make sure you hit the subscribe, turn on the bell, comment, feedback, likes, all help in promoting our podcast. Thank you so much. And that's it for my um self-promotion today gary welcome to the show Uh, thanks for having me so folks gary hayslip he's the CISA over at softbank and he's joining me today we've got a great veterans day episode so um, i'm very excited to have gary kind of be the uh, flagship episode for the month of november um gary obviously flagship all the star wars behind you kind of all falls into place real quick (laughs) um so for, for um, our listeners, tell us a little bit about what branch of the service you were in, how long you served for, and what you did. Um, I was in the U.S. Navy, and I served for just a little over 20 years. Yeah, so I did a full career. Um, I, was a, uh, I was a fire controller, you know, so I worked on advanced weapon systems. Um, you know, big thing about being an FC is that, you know, you ride quite a lot of ships. You know, and so I was on multiple warships on both the East Coast and the West Coast and did about eight deployments, you know, three of them combat tours um, during my 20 years in the U.S. Navy. So when so so how did you get into cyber? What was how did you find from advanced weapons? You know, I kind of figured you'd be at like Lockheed developing the next great missile to blow everything up. So so how did you end up in cyber? Um. It was, I mean, the thing is, is that I'd always been uh, hacking and playing with computers since I was a young kid. And, um, you know, the when I became a teenager, you know, got more involved with it. You got involved with it heavily in college before I dropped out of college and joined the military. <laughs> and um, the weird thing was that it was like, um, you know, I was leaving, you know, one ship, going to shore duty. And while I was on shore duty, I was working on my bachelor's degree in IT. And while I was working on my bachelor's degree, I started uh, programming and uh, like building a website for the command and doing a whole bunch of different stuff, you know, on the side. And so they ended up partnering me up with another guy um, and they wanted both of us to go ahead and kind of run the IT systems and still do my regular job. And just happened to be, you know, this guy that I uh, got partnered up with at the time um, was this, his name was Scott Hammer. Um, OS one hammer. Uh, guy was brilliant, just brilliant. You know, from a hacking perspective, and I learned just so much from him in uh, two and a half years that I worked with him. And he was the one that kind of flipped the switch and got me to. I was already by then playing with networks and already doing stuff, but he was the one that got me to start looking on, you know, under the covers, start looking behind the scenes and seeing all that the whole dark side of the web. And this is in the, the mid nineties, you know, in 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 the late nineties. Uh, when everything was just kind of the wild, wild west. And I just became fascinated by it. 
So, you know, when you talk of that period of time, that period of time, the internet wasn't really internet, right? Most people knew the internet by AOL, you've got mail, right? Like that was the thing, you'd get your AOL free trial, you know, CD-ROM in the mail and and that's how you kind of got into it. It was kind of like the, you're right, the wild, wild west, but it wasn't really, the threats weren't the same back then as they are now, correct? I mean, obviously. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and the thing that was was that at that time there was so much growth, <clears throat> there was so much expansion, so many networks and sites and companies were, you know, were being put on the uh, were being put on the network, and even DoD itself, you know, they were adding more and more things, you know, to the internal networks in the Department of Defense. And I remember there were times where, you know, sitting with Hammer, we were just using regular hack tools, and it was insane the things that we could see on the network because they weren't properly configured or they weren't locked down. And yet nobody was, they were so busy building and nobody at that time was really thinking about security, you know, and thinking about infrastructure and just the architecture of what they were putting together. And yeah, it was just, we, you'd spend hours, just the things that you would get into at that time just blew me away, you know, and, um, and I just, you know, I became fascinated by it. But at the same time, I also became scared by it because it, I mean, I started understanding the whole idea of Win Schwartel's book, you know, on net-centric warfare. You know, I just started understanding just where this could go, you know, thinking 10, 20 years down the road. Just, you know, I was already, you know, and, and I guess, you know, it was still kind of foggy, that picture, but I could see where this was going to go. And to me, I was like, I wanted to be a part of that. Yeah, I was like, this is cool. Don't know where all it's going to go, but... I love this stuff, you know, and I just got more and more into it. I mean, you know, I built a lab in my garage. I paid for my own certs. You know, I taught myself how to hack, you know, got more and more involved in different forums and different, you know, uh, groups uh, to go ahead and learn. And even though my job in the Navy at the time, so I was still active duty, was dealing with, you know, elect, you know, advanced electronics, dealing with weapon systems. And by then I was a chief petty officer, so I was running departments, I was running divisions, you know, um, I, was, I was an E7, you know, dealing with, you know, large groups of people. But every command I was at, well, as soon as they found out that I knew IT and I had certifications in it and I understood cybersecurity, which was just at that time in the early, late 90s, early 2000s, was just starting to kind of grow and rear its head and starting to become a thing. They were calling it information security back then. Um, you know, all the commands were grabbing me and saying, okay, we want you to do this and still do this. And I didn't care. You know, I, this is what I wanted to do. I mean, you know, I knew this was, it was a passion for me, you know, and I knew I needed experience so much so that even when I was on, you know, Liberty, even when I was home, even when I was on leave, you know, I was volunteering for, you know, a lot of the nonprofits like the boys and girls clubs and stuff like that out in town to run their IT for them to run their servers for them because I just wanted experience. I needed, you know, to get hands on and work on things. See, that's the passion that I'm going to get into later with you about because that's kind of like one of the things that that drives uh, people to get into, you know, cyber, right, is you either have a passion for it or you don't. And if you don't, it shows. And if you do, like the way you were talking about it right now, um, in my head, I'm picturing a young version of you just doing all of that. And I'm just like, wow, like, that's that's crazy. So, t- tell me a little bit about your transition from civilian from military life to civilian, and kind of what was that like for you? One of the things in our veterans uh, veteran November series that we really uh, talk a lot about is that transition, 
because it's never easy, right? You you were in for 20 years, you made a career out of it, you're retired all of a sudden that that you know, 20 years is no is no throw in the bucket. That's a lot of time. By the time you leave, you're you're programmed a specific way, right? Like you're you know, you're you're programmed to operate a specific way. What was that like transition? You know, um, scary as hell. <laughs> I mean, uh, and the thing about this is, honestly, you know, when you transition, you're given like a week, like a week class. Yeah, you know, this is how you write your resume. This is how you do an interview. And, you know, and you kind of feel like an alien in some ways because you're like, especially me, you know, 20 years in, and I'm looking at going to join, you know, counterparts who are out in the civilian community. And, yeah, I'm just sitting, I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this? I got a wife, I've got two children, I've got bills, I've got a mortgage, you know, and I'm, you know, uh, yeah, you're kind of freaking out, you know, and you're, and you're basically given kind of a one week class and boom, you know, you're supposed to figure it out. You know, if you look and you know, at officers, they've got a lot, I'd say a bit, a lot better model course for helping them when they go ahead and, and they leave. But even then, you know, I, you know, to this day, I still even mentor and talk with officers who are getting out and looking to where to start and who to talk to. And, and you know, they're looking at building their network. And, you know, and I, I tell you, you know, the biggest thing I learned was, you know, my network and my mentors, you know, um, is what helped me stay focused and really helped me from losing my mind, you know, at the, at the time, just because of, you know, it's such a big change. You know, I, you know, I kind of felt about two years before I retired in 2007, you know, about 2005 timeframe, I felt like I really needed to be, start getting ready. So I started getting ready two years ahead of time. You know, I'd already earned my bachelor's. I already had a bunch of, you know, certifications, but I got really involved in the, in the cybersecurity community. I joined a lot of different professional organizations. I started, um, you know, um, you know, working, you know, at, at DEF CON and B-Sides and, you know, and all the different types of events, you know, that are going on and meeting people in the community, you know, in a, in a black hat and everything, you know, and, and I'm, um, I'm talking with vendors and I'm talking with, you know, people who are, who are writing and giving speeches. And, and a lot of it was just trying to understand what skill sets people were hiring for, you know, what companies that were actually growing, you know, um, you know, cause I basically had mined my, I had, built out a mind map of my career back in 2000. And so from 2000 to 2010, I pretty much had it mapped out as to, okay, I wanted these type of certs. I needed to do my degree. I wanted to get this, you know, and, you know, get this experience in these areas. And what I was doing even back then, while I was still active duty, was that I would do job searches for like, say, network architect or security architect. And I would look at the skill sets that they expected these people to have and the experience they expected these people to have. And then I would compare it to what I you know, had and then I would see the gap. I would see what I was missing and I added that to my mind map. And then I would start looking at, okay, I can see right away I need to get more experience in network architecture. Well, to do that, I'm gonna need to get my Cisco certs. Well, to do that, hey, there's a community college over here that's got a full on Cisco school and they do CCNA and CCNP. And so I immediately, you know, jumped over to that junior college and the state paid for it for free. So I was getting it for free. I just had to put 18 months of my life into understanding networks and working on my certs. And, you know, I had a rack of Cisco equipment in my garage as part of my lab and I taught myself 
that CLI and so that I could go ahead and learn, you know, and pass my certs. You know, I mean, it was that type of preparation. And so when the time came for me to go ahead and retire, you know, I switched from basically going active duty military and I actually jumped over to civil service, you know, for a number of years before I went into private industry. But that whole transition, you know, um, being involved before, you know, that two years before, I was already talking with people. I was, I already had mentors, that, you know, that I was talking to. You know, I already had a be the beginnings of a network, you know, and it's really critical. It becomes really important, you know, and if I had wanted to go ahead and leave and go right into, say, you know, working for a military contractor or something like that, I could have done that in a blink of an eye and could have done it without even, without, without a hesitation at all. It just happened to be the the last command I was at, you know, they wanted me to stay and, you know, um, and basically back up their CIO and also be their CISO and, and run their security and their network teams. And so I, you know, I went ahead and I stayed for about six years. I mean, I did civil service, you know, for about six years. Um, but the interesting thing was my boss, who was also one of my mentors, you know, um, he was one that told me to leave. You know, when I was, I'm in civil service, got a nice job, got a retirement, I can stay put, go ahead and do 20 years in my cubicle and just keep my head down and do my thing. He's like, dude, he goes, you've outgrown this place. He goes, you've finished your master. You really don't want to be here. He goes, you know, private industry is where you need to go. You need to take that step. He goes, if you don't leave, I want to fire you. He goes, you need to get out of here. <laughs> you know? and, and sometimes that's what you got to do as a leader and as a mentor is, you got to kick him out of the nest, you know, and the guy I worked for, Palmer Taskroot, you know, who was an ex-vet, you know, working civil service, you know, he basically told me, you know, and the crazy thing was two months before, I had just several of my security team members had finished up their master's degrees and everything, and I knew that they were searching, and I helped them find jobs out in the civilian community, and I let them go, and, um, and to this day, I still talk to them and still mentor them. But he said, you know, I'm doing what you just did. You need to go. <clears throat> and that got me started. You know, I went ahead and I, I, after I had done my transition, did my time, and then I left and moved into private industry. And even as I move into private industry, again, the same thing, that network came into play. Those people that I knew, those people that I had um, met and, you know, um, had gotten to know in, in the community, you know, came into play to help me find, you know, my next job. Yeah, there's a, there's a piece to that that you just brought up that I find um, really interesting, which is you've outgrown. And, and I think that's one part of the transition. Um, I've done a lot of these episodes so far, and <laughs> I've, I've recorded a lot of these. And a lot of the veterans I speak with, when they go to civil service, you kind of get stuck in that same, I don't want to say comfort zone, but you're not far from where you're used to it. And so kind of stepping out to the civilian world becomes like, you're like, yeah, well, I don't have to do PT so much anymore. And I'm a civilian and I get weekends off and all that good stuff. And, you know, my family's good and I'm taken care of and I've got benefits. And like you were saying, all that advantage. But then you really did step out into the private sector after six years in civil service. What was that like? Like, were you like ready for it? Was it that threat of you're going to get fired if you don't go out there that kind of just propelled you to go, I'm ready. Here I come, world. No, I mean, it was, um, I have to admit, it was interesting. I mean, I, um, you know, I transitioned, I left 
Yeah, and even when I left civil service, that was an interesting transition again itself because you are in more of a protected environment, just like you know when you're active duty, and you know it's like when I stepped over, I left and went to be the CISO for the city of San Diego, and you know people are like, well, that's a, that's you know you're going to work for another government entity. That's just sound <laughs> like you know you're so full of shit. You have no idea, you know, because the city of San Diego is a five billion dollar business. Right. That's what it is. I mean, it's a $5 billion business, 10,000 employees, 40 departments, 100,000 plus endpoints. I mean, you know, 28 networks. It was it was amazing. You know, um, it's just the professionals, the people you got to work with, the projects that were ongoing. Um, I mean, my, my four years there, I loved it. But it was, I had to totally shift my whole approach and viewpoint and everything you know, from the way I did in civil service or the government. You know, I mean, when I got to the city of San Diego, they're like, you know, who are you? Okay, so you want me to do what? Why? Why should I listen to you? I don't have to listen to you. You know, and, and that's the crap that you kind of deal with when you get into private industry, and I'm sure we'll, you know, talk about it more, um, was that when I, you know, when you get over into private industry, they don't have to listen to you. You know, you have to make the case. You have to build the culture. You have to be learn. They have to learn to trust you. You know, and it's a different mindset. It's a different set of soft skills. You know that I never really needed when I was in civil service. You know, um, and so for me, when I made that transition, you know, and coming over, I had to learn a whole different aspect of working with people. You know, and getting them to go ahead and see my vision of what I wanted to do from a security standpoint. And there was a you know, one of the biggest things I think, you know, my, you know, my years as a veteran taught me until this day was the whole thing about tenacity. You know, you're used to getting hit. You're used to getting docked down, knocked down. You're used to just embracing the suck, putting your head down and just moving forward and getting things done because the mission is still there. You still have to go ahead and get things done, you know, and, it's been assigned to you, so it's your years. It's yours, and you're going to do it. You know, many you know citizens in private industry, they don't have that mindset. They haven't been raised that way. They haven't been, you know, gone through you know the the trials by fire that we veterans go through, how we're trained, and you know, and the things that we do on deployment and what we've been through. You know, and and so for me, you know, that transition from basically military slash civil service into private industry. Um, there was a lot of hard knocks. There was a lot of, uh, you know, um, disappointment. There was a lot of projects that just didn't make it or collapsed. But the, the, you know, the, the thing about it is, is that I didn't give up. I didn't go ahead and say, okay, this is too hard for me. Let me go back to civil service. Instead, it was more of, all right, what am I doing wrong? You know, I'm approaching it this way. You know, it's not, I can't, look at this and say, okay, I got 10,000 employees that are doing this wrong. No, it's me. What am I doing wrong? Why do not, why do they not care? Why do they not see what I'm trying to do? And again, my network, the mentors that I had, it was falling back and talking with them and understanding that I was approaching it wrong, that there's different skill sets involved here. There's different ways to communicate. You know, I learned, um, you know, the, the really cool thing about fish tacos and beer. You get together, <laughs> you say you're willing to pay for fish tacos and beer, you can get together, you can, people will come for lunch, you know, and then you let them sit and talk and you keep your mouth shut. 
and just listen and hear about their issues and their problems. Hear about what technology they need, what applications they need, what data they need. Hear about what type of projects that they're trying to do and issues that their teams are having. You know, and have and. While at the city, a lot of these projects are going to benefit our citizens. They're going to benefit my neighbors, you know. Um, and so it was that. To me, it was like I was back in school. I was learning again. I was learning about how I could support them, how I could serve them. You know, I was learning about, okay, my security program that I inherited had pissed a shitload of people off. <laughs> you know? Because they had done the whole thing of, well, those stupid users, you know, they're always a problem, you know, and... After I had done a couple of these lunches and I'd spent time with some people and started actually getting some champions, you know, um, I had to go back and talk to my staff and explain to them, you understand those stupid users are why you have a job. You understand those stupid users are why we exist as a security team. How about we start calling them what they are, their customers? How about we approach it that way? You know, and that was the turning point for me. That was the shift for me that will start looking at cybersecurity as a service. And that's how we need to approach it. That also led you to write a bunch of books, including the the CISA Desk Reference Guide and 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 a bunch of other ones where, you know, I, I always I'm I'm a firm believer in supporting other veterans, right? Yeah. And I think most veterans are. And and that's why part of what I'm doing this series, it's funny, I had someone call me yesterday after the first episode aired, and they go, hey, we'd like to sponsor your November series. And I was like, it's not up for sponsorship, guys. This isn't something I'm doing for monetary. This is something to highlight other veterans and provide a library, a kind of a resource of thought leadership. I've had people on that are... Um, 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 entrepreneurs that were veterans that went on to start their own companies. And I think that's inspirational. I think a lot of people, you know, leave the military with a set of skills that can make them very successful entrepreneurs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I hate to say it, but, you know, I go to Israel all the time. My wife's Israeli and I'm, I mean, my parents are Israeli, so I'm kind of guilty of it. But I go to Israel and everyone's like, yeah, I run my own startup. I have my own company and they're all at 8200. You know this. You get hammered all the time oh, yeah. with it. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, well, we have the greatest military in the world. Why don't we have more of this? Oh, dude. I mean, I, you know, in January of this year, I was in Tel Aviv just before, you know, COVID locked everything down. And I was there for a big cybersecurity conference. And I was talking to a ton of different cyber startups, you know, um, there. And I got a chance to go ahead and tour, you know, um, a bunch of the, you know, the universities there and talk to, you know, a lot of previous, you know, vets, you know, Israeli vets. And, and I freaking love Israel. You know, and, um, and you know, and the thing about this is that if you work in cybersecurity, you're going to deal with people, you know, right. that are Israeli, that are building, you know, cybersecurity programs, because so many of them come from there, you know, and I'm good with that. I have no problem. You know, I mean, I, I, I will learn from anybody, you know, and, you know, and I, I seriously enjoy hearing just these new ideas and what they're doing with technologies and just really fascinating, you know, uh, things that, you know, just different companies that are coming out with a new twist on how to deal with this or, or just something so new. I'm just like, uh, excuse me. I, I want to see that, you know? Um, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, you know, and, and, you know, when, when you like it, when you look on my LinkedIn profile, there's about a hundred plus articles that are there. You know, I, to me, I guess, the, I guess the way I look at it being a veteran is that, I'm really blessed to be where I'm at and to be in the field that I'm in and to work with the men and women that I work with in our community, you know, and 
I've always believed in giving back that, you know, this, you know, I've always believed that, you know, and I, I have to admit, I mean, you know, a lot of the mentors and people that I work with, that was something that they drilled into my head was that, you know, hey, you know, this knowledge that you gather, that you learn, that we give you, you're expected to go ahead and, and give it, you know, to other people. You know, as, as a chief petty officer in the U.S. Navy, you know, it was drilled into you when you become a chief that you take care of your people, that you take care of and you mentor and they're, they're your family, you know. And, you know, and so, I mean, uh, the articles that I started posting up on LinkedIn, I actually originally started writing them for veterans. And then I went back and I rewrote them and started making them for a lot wider audience. You know, in many of the uh, the chapters in, you know, in the CISO Desk Reference Guide, you know, in volume one, several of the chapters there, you know, were actually written, you know, for vets. I originally wrote them for vets and then I went back and made it wider for a wider audience. But I always, you know, talk about, you know, vets. I mean, we've done volume one and volume two. I just released, you know, the book for, um, for security practitioners for small businesses. Right now, we're hoping in January, I'll be releasing my fourth book. And it's actually for people who are brand new coming into the cybersecurity field. I'm writing it with two co-authors and um, we basically walk you through how to write a resume, how to do a job search, how to go ahead and do a job interview, you know, how to use social media, you know, uh, to build your brand because you're going to need that network, you know, why it's important, you know, um, all of these beginning tools. And again, I'm looking at for vets that transition out and they contact me and they want to know where to start. You know, and in a lot of these discussions and a lot of these, um, you know, these uh, these different I've come in and done talks at like the Microsoft Academy that, you know, the whole room is full of vets. And, you know, they're going through this whole this great program that Microsoft has put together for them. Um, and I talk to them and, and give them a heads up. You know, it's all not going to be good. You know, this field, there's a lot of stress in this field. There's a lot of burnout. You've got to be aware of that. you got to know you know, that there are certain things, certain skill sets that you're going to need to start, you know, um, and in those discussions with them, you know, they didn't realize I'm constantly taking notes and I turn out and I flip those notes and put a chapter in my book that touch those areas because I promised I would talk about that, you know, because I know there's more people coming behind them. You know, there's more of us that are coming out, you know, and I, you know, talked to a head of HR, you know, for a company that's hiring uh, people just this last week. And I talked about, you know, uh, veterans and why when I interview, you know, for people and I'm building teams and stuff, you know, I typically look for skill sets. I typically look for that passion and how involved you are in the community and what you're doing. And uh, but I also look for vets, too. You know, and a lot of it is is because the skills they already bring to the table, they know when they come in and it's a cybersecurity related job, there is no nine to five. Cyber is 24 seven. Right. They know that cybersecurity, it's a full life cycle, you know, so it's constant. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. It's just a long, dark tunnel that we're in fighting the bad guys and doing our thing. You know? or, or a long LED tunnel or a long yeah. LED color that changes colors. I like to use that because I think a dark tunnel is like, I don't know. <laughs> I like an you LED know? tunnel. Like sometimes you've got blue light, green light, red light, yellow light, white light, you name it. Well, the thing is I bring about the dark tunnel piece is that is to remind them that a lot of that darkness is stress. A lot right. of that darkness is the things that are happening around you. And that's the reason why you need your network. That's the reason why 
you know, you need to understand about self-care, about managing your stress. Do not take it home uh, on, you know, to you and you know, to your family and everything. You need to be able to, whether it's, it's working out or going for a walk or whether it's writing or doing a podcast, do different things to be able to manage that stress because it's, it's inherent in the job. You know, because again, cyber, just as you finish one thing, there's something else. This is you alleviate one threat, there's new threats. You know, just as you finish one project, well, the stack is constantly in a state of flux. You're constantly changing out technologies and integrating new things. IT is changing new things. The business shifts and they want to go ahead and go a different way. Well, now your risks have just shifted. Now you got to go back through and do a, you know, reassess. You know, and, you know, veterans are very good at handling those changes. We're very good at taking, oh my God, this is this huge project we're dealing with. And we start thinking right away, we need to break this down into manageable pieces, grab the first piece and we get started. Yeah, or other people are freaking out at the scale. We've already broken it down. We've put it together into a two-year strategic map and we're already moving. Right. We, we, I, I agree with one thing. The tenacity, the, the strategic aspect of veteran thinking the stuff that you can't acquire from a cert the stuff that you can't acquire from a degree that comes from um the military taking you out of that that bubble that the civilian thought process and turning you into a a a, a well-oiled machine of solving problems quickly and efficiently um pays homage in, in, in cyber. And I think, you know, when we were talking about Israel earlier, that's one of the aspects that you learn in Israel because everyone there does compulsory service. They all go into the military. They tend to have a, um, they, they all tend to come with that quick problem solving. They see a problem, they quickly want to solve it. I'm a firm believer that we need to build a similar ecosystem to what Israel did in terms of how they foster their smart veterans. Um, yeah. And, and encouraging entrepreneurship beyond just careers in cyber, right? But encouraging entrepreneurship. Um, I love the guys over at Black Rifle Coffee Company because they're entrepreneurs. They came out and and it, th- th- they created an idea. The, the guys who do the t-shirt I'm wearing, Gret style. Again, you know, veterans who came out and, and did a, a level of entrepreneurship. And I, I think we see a lot of guys leave Cyber Command and NSA and, and some of the three-letter agencies and, and our military and they're entrepreneurs at heart, but they don't have the ecosystem to foster that entrepreneurship to give them that opportunity. And, yeah. and Israel does a good job of that because Israel knows that if those guys leave Israel, they're going to go work in Silicon Valley or in New York or some or London or anywhere else in the world and be paid a lot of money. So to keep that talent within the country, they've built an entrepreneurship program that helps them start companies. And I think we need to do the same here. Is, is one thing I keep taking away from every episode when I speak to people like you. I'm like, you know what? Gary should have had his own company. Gary could have probably solved like 25 cyber problems if he just had the right ecosystem around him. And maybe he's not up for it. Maybe Gary's just not up for it. But, you know, when I read your posts, I read your stuff, and I see the way you address your thought process behind trying to solve some of that, the, the, the challenges we all face, um, it definitely comes from from a different perspective than a than a traditional, you know, wired brain if that makes sense yeah so gary i want to ask you one final question before we move on to another segment um where we talk a little bit more of a sister to sister conversation what's one thing you loved about your military service um you know i mean i i have to admit i mean you know like we were on deployments i mean i love to travel 
I love to, you know, I went to about 54 different countries over my, you know, my 20 year career. I mean, you know, it's, that's kind of, it's kind of interesting. I, mean, I, I tell my wife, I said, there's times where I still miss being at sea, just being with, with, with my team, being with the people that I was serving with, you know, and just regular morning, you know, getting coffee. We got maintenance that day. We're working on, you know, the gun system or whatever, you know, or I'm going heading up to the combat to go on watch. Um, just that, that sense of being, you know, part of that team, you know, and that we've got a mission and that we're, you know, we're moving to accomplish that mission and then we're all together. You know, you, I still miss that in a lot of ways, you know, um, it's, it's interesting. There's times where I still kind of, I'll wake up from a dream where I still think I'm on, on ship or I still think I'm on deployment, you know, um, even, you know, 13 years later. You know, you, you still miss the other people that you serve with. Yeah. Um, I'd say every episode so far has had that ending. Um, and I think that brotherhood is something we all miss, that community, that aspect of, uh, of, of, of seeing those men and our brothers and sisters. So I won't say men and women because they're, they're, it's literally a, you know, the, the HBO series Band of Brothers wasn't just a saying. It was, it was yeah. really, it, it's what it is. I mean, you can have you know, brothers and sisters and, and you can grow up with them. But when you go to the military and you serve with someone for, you know, you do two, three, four tours with them, they become closer than family because they see you sometimes in, in moments you go through experiences that you probably, and you'd never wish to go through them with your family. Right? Like, I don't think anyone goes, man, I wish my brother was with me while we're getting shot at in a desert in Afghanistan. Like that's never something anyone's ever said. Right. So you kind of hope you never have to go through those experiences with your family. Um, But you go through, through experiences with, with our brothers and sisters in service that just always stick with you, always stay in your memory and always kind of, uh, they walk you through life, every single aspect of it. Folks, I'm going to continue the conversation with Gary, but for those of you listening, it's only going to be out tomorrow. If you're watching, it's coming right up. We're going to let it out a day early so you guys can, can actually watch it. So if you're listening and you want to continue this conversation, here's where you need to go. You need to go to YouTube, look up the CyberHub Podcast or CISO Talk Podcast, and just click on the episode. Scooch over about 34 minutes, and you can continue listening to our conversation um, there. Um, for those watching, um, we're going to continue this. But for those listening, again, go to YouTube. Uh, subscribe to our page, please. I'm like a few subscribers away from monetization, folks. Like, help a brother out, will you? So we're going to continue right now. So, um, Gary, let's kind of move to a, di- a completely um, different conversation. I want to say um, l- let's have a CISO to CISO conversation a little bit. Um, you, you talked a lot in, in the veteran uh, portion of this interview uh, about leadership, but one of the greatest challenges that most chief information security officers face is in their leadership, right? It's it's being able to properly communicate not only to their own teams, but across the enterprise. You've written books about it. You've talked a lot about it. But what are some of the things that you feel like are necessary qualities for a CISO now in 2020 going into 2021 to really be successful across not only his own team, but the enterprise? Uh, um, some key skills and qualities. You know, the... Um, 
I think you know one of the biggest things we're seeing right now change things. You're going to change the way they, you know, the way the employees used to do things, which tends to piss them off. You know, you're going to rub it. Up. Yeah, think of your service as well, folks. A lot more coming back tomorrow. Until then, stay healthy and stay cyber safe. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. And get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com.